You are listening to Mark Hatmaker Rough and Tumble Raconteur. This is a grab bag of old school Western martial arts, resurrected indigenous ways and empirical musings tinged with a heavy dose of respect, admiration, let's call it hero worship, for these hosses of yore. Crew, this is Mark Hatmaker coming to you from the Comancheria. Today's subject, move like a warrior. It could also be called move like a scout or move like an indigenous warrior. It's, uh, it's kind of a, a preview of uh, some of the material we're putting together loosely into a unit for a black box uh, subscribers called Move uh, Like a Warrior, where we work on recapturing some indigenous movement. Now, if uh, historically, if we spend any time reading accounts of early contact between so-called civilized folk and indigenous peoples or those civilized ones who have, uh, quote, gone engine, unquote, such as early frontiersmen, scouts, or prepare for some, me butchering some French here, the Coueur du Bois, the runners of the woods or woods runners of the north woods, you're going to find some commonalities. There are, in many, an admiration for the strength and grace of body and freedom of spirit. There are also more than a few disdainful accounts that still offer begrudging regard for, and these are, quote, stout and sturdy frames that can run like a deer or disappear into the desert or into the mountains or the forest like the very wind itself. Undoubtedly, much of these remarked-upon characteristics were part and parcel of time, time spent in these very environments, and gradually learning that to be a good hunter, one needed stealth and stamina to eat. One needed a general, natural, cultivated, facile hardihood to live, right? I mean, the more time you spend in a particular environment, the better you get with it, and presumably, you would flow better with it, right? Of course, we all know that's not necessarily true. I mean, we all walk around every day in these same urban environments, and some of us look smooth, and some of us don't, so the environment itself is not the teacher, Right? So the remarked upon so-called spiritual or character aspects may have had less to do with any inherent belief systems that inculcated this or that ethereal mindset in some new agey sense. Then the mere act of grace and facile movement might be the driver of the notice aspect of character. Uh, neuroscientist Scott Grafton has a fascinating book called Physical Intelligence, the Science of How the Body and the Mind Guide Each Other Through Life. Now, this book and the premise, it makes compelling arguments that our thoughts, our ideologies, our pronouncements may have less impact on ourselves than we would like. Rather, we should look to our day-to-day -day movement for a true barometer of what we have been and what we will become. And again, according to his premise, he's not talking about large things like I set aside time to do my Pilates, I set a time to do my conditioning, and this is going to shape the rest of it. No, when you get down to it, spending these finite amount of times, limited amount of times to kind of train the physical self, does it manifest all the way throughout the 24-7? Uh, he's getting at something deeper, and it does, does, does the indigenous ways, where we're looking at every aspect of movement, how you're sitting right now, how you're reaching for that mug of coffee, where are we finding the balance, where are we finding the grace, where are we finding the efficiency, the economy? In summary, this is a biological scientific argument for deeds, not words, and to extend that our deeds become our destiny, and in some instances uh, becomes our health, or our lack thereof. Now, I highly recommend the interested to delve into this volume for much food for thought. Uh, in the show notes, I'll, again, I'll, we'll, we'll link towards the book and uh, some uh, text support for this. Now, let's go back to our graceful, facile, stealthy woodsmen, scouts, and braves. It has not only been early observers of indigenous or gone native folks that make such comparisons where we moderns come out on the short end of the stick, but more contemporary commentators have also pointed to these distinctions. Uh, Georges Hibert, the founder of a school of thought uh, or movement called, again, more butchering of French by Marc, the La Méthode Naturelle, or the Natural Method, or Hebertism, applied a bit of scientific formalism to foster in the French army recruits what he observed in indigenous peoples in Africa. He remarked in one of his books, quote, their bodies were splendid, 
flexible, nimble, skillful, enduring, resistant, and yet they had no other tutor in gymnastics but their lives and nature, unquote. Uh, now, I have sympathies with Mr. Hebert's outlook, but it is ironic that he marks these bodies were created without tutors, and then he turns to create a pedagogy to tutor such ob observationally untutored attributes. Again, uh, of course, that's where we have to go. We lose the skill, we got to go back and get some instruction in it, right? Um, uh, Hebert's work uh, continued on, and we see it in some current incarnations, such as the urban version of La Method Naturelle, also known as Parkour, and then Parkour's more flamboyant cousin, Free Running, and Erwin Lacour's resurrection of the Hebert School of Thought under the name of MoveNet. I mean, these are all worthy and fun fields of study, but this is still not where we're heading. We're going at something a bit more basic, fundamental, and, you know, some might even say deeper. There was something a bit unusual going on in the untutored of the frontier Americas, a mix of allowing the environment to act as teacher, leavened with a hearty dose of, here's how it's done. Scoutcraft, wood lore, trail smarts uh, that was passed along regarding s certain specific hows and whys. Now, in a blog offering, we had one called Walk Like a Warrior. We discussed just how nitpicky, devil in the details, some of this instruction could be. That's not what we're discussing right now. The frontier school of indigenous movement, when observed in the large, is a seeming hodgepodge of tips found here and there and dribs and drabs in obscure frontier journals or offhand remarks and letters, diaries, and journals. But once one starts putting it together, we see a rather clear picture of a school of thought, a school of movement that many held uh, commonalities across the different environments, these, these begin to emerge for us. Now, this school of movement, or skulking thought, can be loosely categorized into four attributes. So let's, uh, let's take these in order. Attribute one, efficiency. Now, travel was laborious. Long distances were often a given, whether it be for a hunt or the nomadic lifestyle of traveling to ever-varying encampments. And again, maximizing efficiency to conserve energy was key. And again, I'd refer you to that uh, blog offering, Walk Like a Warrior, where we get how nitpicky it was and how much you can you know, preserve energy. It's, it's astonishing how much thought was given to this. Attribute two, stealth. Now, whether hunting or skirmish warfare, if you ain't quiet, you don't eat. In the case of warfare, perhaps ever again. Attribute three, hands-free. There's a remarkable amount of the movement is predicated on leaving the hands free, even when on the ground, for weapons access or brush clearing. And then in some tribal schools of thought, items in the hand, quote, steal the mind, unquote. That is... Uh, you think about what you grasp, even if you're not so-called thinking about it. To refine that thought, uh, some aspect of your attention must be spent on a grasp item. Right? So ponder that the next time you realize your phone is being carried in your hand, even when it is not in current use. It means it's in the mind somewhere. You're spending some amount of cognitive load on it. So as a loose rule for some tribes, if it was not a weapon or a tool for imminent or immediate use, or holding the hand of a loved one, your hand was to be free so the mind could be free. So we'll get into that in a little deeper aspect somewhere down the road, but this isn't the place for it right now. Attribute four, fluidity. Now this one is a little esoteric, but stay with me and I believe it will be clear in a moment. Let's look uh, to human body language and dogs. We have all likely noticed that some people inspire more negative reactions in dogs than others. Some dogs need a warming up period so that the dog can learn the newcomer's place in the hierarchy. Dogs can be slower to respond to those with a herky-jerky, unflowing, or quick body movement. Such movement, whether it be born of aggression, nervousness, or simply the ingrained movement pattern of the human are read as aggressive and suspect by the dog. By the way, uh, those of us spend a lot of time around horses know that uh, other species behave in the exact same way. Uh, smooth and flow is the way to go. Now, if the dog 
begins barking, which is a nervous signal, not necessarily aggression, but it's nervous, and the human jerks back or retreats, this triggers the dog's pursuit mode. The jerking back or retreat seems to confirm that this was an interloper because a possible friend would not move or stand down so easily. Conversely, nervous dogs respond very well to humans with easy, fluid movement. Those who do not stand down to the nervous bark, but rather remain smooth and seek to engage with nothing abrupt in their movement, do remarkably well with nervous animals. Now, let us recall the journals that refer to smooth, flowing, and graceful regarding the movement of indigenous peoples and those who have, quote, gone engine, unquote. Some have postulated that this was due to an act of lifestyle that over time ingrained fluidity into the human. All right, again, let's think about that. Maybe being outside it could do that, but uh, that's true. I think we can all point to many an active athlete and outdoorsman with a clomping step or ungainly actions outside their field of play. Others say that our ungainly footwear and unnatural environment fosters ungainly natural movement. Okay, that's not a bad answer, but I'm just going to have to, again, say maybe on it. Both of these might be the case, or at least part of the answer. But consider this. From the above example with dog interaction, or these early... These early peoples were animal embedded. That is, hunting was a fact of life, and uh, or some of these cultures enjoyed a close affinity with a particular species, the Comanche with horses, the Bedouins with camel, the Basque with sheep, etc. I mean, we can just think of you know, farm kids. Anyone who's been around animals know you have to behave with them differently. You just can't run at them. Everything's going to you know, plunge away from you. You've got to be smooth and flowing. From an early age, those within the tribe learned that fluid and smooth is the way to make for fluid and smoother interactions with animals in your purview. Indigenous hunters know that whether utilizing still hunting pra- uh, tactics or stalking tactics, fluid is smooth is the watchword from day one. Herky, jerky, discombobulated, this is my aggressive walking to the subway stride is not conducive to the horse herd, the antelope approach, or circling the watching wolf pack. To let you know just how deeply the thought would go on such a thing, often when we see Indian headdresses, not the ceremonial ones, the one you would see sometimes see one or two feathers stuck into hair, not even necessarily a headband, isn't it? plunged into the hair. Sometimes they're up, sometimes they're down, sometimes they swoop back. These are not mere ornamental choices. Horses communicate via uh, their ear positioning. So sometimes to move amongst uh, horses, to move to get closer to wild horses, the wise warrior was actually giving a stand down signal that the horses would read uh, by how they would position the feathers. So there's a lot of thought going into things that we would assume there's no thought. We just think, oh, that's a neat looking thing and you have feathers, that, that's ornament, when actually it's a tool. Now, smooth, fluid movement, some would call it calm, natural movement, seems to be the watchword for a successful hunter. Hunters that have to come close to prey, not those with scopes or killing from a distance. Smooth, fluid, and intentional is also key when moving amongst, again, that wild horse herd 400 strong. And we don't need science to tell us that uh, this is we all feel it in our bones. But all the same, studies show that we perceive those with smooth, Fluid movement and stride, gesture, overall body language is more powerful, confident, and in control. Now, again, there are ways to train these in the small aspects of life, and that's where you want that. You just don't want to set aside time and say, now I'm working on my, my safety vault, now I'm working on my forward roll, and now I'm working on my penetration step. And I mean, yes, we need these things. This is not to dismiss those at all or discount these. We're trying to make sure that we're going something deeper where every aspect is embedded. I uh, looked at the blog entry and something we will be hammering hard and all the unloaded material is something called face under pressure, where you're always trying to create an aspect of calmness, trying to create an emotional, internal emotional uh, environment that can correspond that shows that makes our 
movement and exercise easy even whenever something is so-called hard. I mean, that's just that's a little uh, esoteric right now, but we'll, we'll, we'll get devil in the details on that down the road as well. Now again, we're back to those four broad attributes. We have efficiency, stealth, hands-free, and fluidity. There is much, much more to say in this topic, and even more meat in the bones when we get into the here's how to move portion of the game. But now, again, let's chew on that information, compare it to your own experience, your own movement, your own observation of the movement of others. Those who are often conceived as the heroes in films are the ones who have been instructed to behave smooth and flow and relaxed and languid. And uh, we were wise to do that amongst the horse herd, amongst dogs. So if it works there, it works elsewhere. So I would wager that the animal embedded uh, hypothesis comes a little bit close to things. So be, without actually having some uh, modeling for you right now, we'll, we'll get that to that program down the road. Just begin to think, how would you move amongst the horse band? and to move through it confidently, yet assuredly, and slowly, and languidly, you're getting a little bit close to how to begin to move. Again, crew, I hope you enjoyed this. Uh, have a look at the uh, extremeselfprotection.com. Free newsletter, well, deals of the week all the time, like, support, share the podcast, and all that noise. And of course, if you really endure, jump aboard that black box subscription project and uh, yeah, yeah, actually get, you know, you know put, put your ass on the mat, all right? Meat on the bone, right? Have a good one, crew. Well, if you dig what we just discussed today, uh, I'd like to invite you to like and subscribe to the podcast. Hell, support it if you want. I'm not your dad. Do what you want. And if you're a glutton for punishment, uh, just visit our website, extremeselfprotection.com. You'll find links to the blog, all of our products, and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of more pages of like musings.